What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Syme, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. Today our guest is legendary guitarist Bruce Kulick. I'm joined today by co-host Dane Clark. How's it going, Dane? Great, Andy. How are, how are you doing today? Good. And also Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? It's going well. Thank you, Andrew, for, for asking. How's, how's life in uh, Indy? It's great. Hanging in there. Good. Bruce Kulick became a guitar hero when he was asked to join Kiss in 1984 as their lead guitarist. Kulick was featured in the band from 1984 until 1996, performing around the world in addition to his recordings and videos with the iconic band, which during that time produced major hits. Tears Are Falling, Forever, Crazy Crazy Nights, Who Wants to Be Lonely, Domino, Unholy, God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too, Reason to Live, Rise to It, and many, many more. During those years, Kulik earned multi-platinum and gold records and video awards. In addition to his years in KISS, he toured and has recorded with the likes of Meatloaf, Billy Squire, Michael Bolton, Lordy Union, and has featured on many artist projects other than the ones I mentioned. Since 2000, Bruce has been the lead guitarist for Grand Funk Railroad, the American band. The current version of Grand Funk is in its 20th year of touring. In addition to his appearances at guitar shows and clinics across the world, for the past three years, Bruce has been a featured performer on the sold-out Kiss Cruise. Please welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, the legendary Bruce Kulick. Hey, guys. Thanks. Thank hey, you very Bruce. much for the invitation. Hey. We're so glad you're here. So glad to talk to thanks. you today. So, man, I just got to say, I've never seen anybody that had so many, uh, a part of so many legacy acts. I mean, Kiss, Graham Funk, Michael Bolton, Meatloaf. Billy Squire, Todd Rundgren, Ronnie Spector. Uh, I mean, that's really amazing. Astonishing. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, look, I had great opportunities growing up in New York, and I have to thank also um, 
you know, uh, my brother, he got, he was connected a little older than me. And we, we obviously, uh, got to meet a lot of the similar people between kiss and, and everybody else, you know, sure. um, meatloaf was the first big act though. Even when I was toiling in the nasty clubs for, um, uh, doing disco artists like, like George McRae and then Andrea True, you know, George McRae, you know, that's the one that did, uh, rock your baby okay and and andrea true had more 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 well i wound up because i was doing like like a disco band even though we were playing some of the hipper top 40 in the mid 70s all of a sudden that agent winds up with george mccray and i'm off to europe you know but my brother was already doing a lot of cool things and then he heard about the meatloaf meatloaf audition at some point we actually worked both with michael bolton in clubs he wasn't anybody yet and then he gets offered a record deal and actually, my brother and I were both supposed to be in Blackjack, the band that I had with Michael. Turned out just to be for me uh, uh, in the end because Bob didn't work it out with them. But th- one thing goes into another, you know, and it's it, great. I have to admit, growing up in New York helped because uh, there was so much going on then. Nowadays, sure. I think it doesn't matter in the way we share music and the way we be- can become famous is much different. But certainly... Uh, that whole New York scene, I was able to thrive if you have talent and you're going to be smart enough to answer the call of opportunity. Well, we've we've talked about that quite a bit um, in our um, our discussions, and we rarely see each other anymore. There's that to consider as well. It's all it's all Internet and uploading, you know, sound files and, and graphics. So it's a faceless kind of business that we're in right now. Yes. But you're right. Timing, time and place. It has a lot to do. You know, if you've got a good work, work ethic and of course talent, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing when you have a little luck on your side too. Well, thanks. And it, it, you know, but there's no doubt. And I, I tell people, I'm no, I'm not like the official motivational speaker, but I always am very clear that if there's an opportunity there, you better know what the tools are to deliver and you, and you should be as professional as you could be. And just, you know, show up with the right attitude and, 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 and hopefully things will work out. And then when you do a good job there, it turns into another good job. And that doesn't matter if you went to some, you were a marketer, you know, and you were a marketing firm and it didn't work out there, but people liked you, different companies appreciated what you did, whatever. And then it goes into another thing. So sure, right. the music business is just brutal and it's a business and it's pretty cutthroat, but truthfully, uh, if you have the talent, there are opportunities out there, but you better know how to put it together and you better know how to, you know, function as a, uh, you know, as a pro. And change with the times, too, because, you know, it's. Oh, yeah. And show up on time and sober. You know, that helps. Exactly. And be a nice oh, yeah. guy, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of with. the guys, you know, certainly the people that you'd like to call an a-hole, they, they are usually at the top and they get away with it. You follow what I mean? Yes. Okay. I've met and all the other guys. Oh, the band is great. Oh, I don't want to talk to that singer. You know, the guy. I'm not going to give you any examples, but you all know what I'm talking about. But it's because they can. Okay, Mm -hmm. they can be difficult. Not that all of them are. I I met. I was very fortunate. Like Brian May, and we all love Brian. Not only because Queen is uh, an amazing band, but Brian's a you know astronomer and astrophysicist, whatever. But the guy, he, I met him in 75 or something, six, and, and oh. he was really nice. 
And I was just like, this guy, it's like, it's queen guitar player. And I'm talking to him. He came to like, he came to a disco and I think my, you know, he was playing with Andrew Drew or something. And, but we had a nice chat. I so regret I can't find that photo of me and him. But the point is, I was like, wow, if I ever get the opportunity that people want to meet me because I'm, you know, known, which would happen years later with, with a kiss and all, sure. um, I want to show them respect like sure. the way, you know, Brian did. Well, can you take us back? Uh, to the early seventies and, and your very first band that you played in and how, how you came from being interested in music and specifically guitar, uh, to playing in that first band. Sure. Well, you know, obviously I, I'm like millions of other musicians that at least my age group, that the Beatles were the big thing, you know, and to see them on Ed Sullivan and to actually, uh, it, it just was, I, I'd never seen anything like it before. Music was already a bit in the house. Both my parents were a bit musical, but not professionals. And my brother was already playing a little bit of Bob Dylan acoustic guitar that my dad hated, you know, or like <laughs> folk people, which was a totally different thing. But the Beatles came and it was just, you know, life changing. And, and that, I think, was a basis for a lot of groups from, from Kiss and, and many, many others, as you know. Uh, and the guitar was natural to me. Thank God. Okay. Yeah, my brother was able to show me a few things because he was a little ahead of the curve learning. But then I took lessons from a record shop down the block. And, and the next thing I know, I'm um, jamming with people in the neighborhood to the next thing I know, I am uh, playing in those clubs that were kind of funky. I mean, my very first probably paid gig was with my high school band. We played on the circle line. It's, you know, that's that like kind of almost looks like a tugboat around the, the island of Manhattan. Wow. That was pretty wild. That's and cool. I actually played bass in that band because uh, I love bass. My brother played guitar, so I, my first electric instrument was an EB3. Jack Bruce was a hero of mine, you know, from Cream. Mm -hmm. Sure. Now, the whole music scene, as you know, the British Invasion and from Hendrix to Clapton to Jeff Beck and then groups like Mountain and, and the, you know, just it was it, Hendrix was so amazing. I, I was so moved by all that. I dived in. I was totally immersed in that. I didn't care about sports. I just wanted to hear music. Yeah, okay, I like the Yankees because I grew up in New York and then the Mets. But you know what I mean? I was totally into the guitar thing. And it, it was. And these bands just kept coming. I was very aware of Grand Funk. I didn't know years later I would be in the band. But you know, that's an example. I was like, mm. wow, they're like kind of like the American cream, but a little more funky. <laughs> oh, the guitar player sings. And he's he doesn't use a lot of distortion all the time. He goes to a fuzz pedal. You know, it's a, but that energy of a power trio blew my mind and it sure. always flips me out to think that you know i got got a chance to play with uh you, you know don and mel like all these years and then of course those years in kiss was so amazing but certainly there was just so much um great 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 music to in, in, in immerse myself in and then i had the knack i remember at a young age playing in some of those cover things people saying to me um you know like you're 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 something's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to be known. You're, you're getting out there. I know it. I'm like, okay. You know what I mean? Cause there are guys that grow up that all they do is perform in front of their mirror. They want to be a rock star. You know, I was kind of like the reluctant, like I just want to play my guitar and hopefully it connects. And then yeah. I just was so fortunate that a lot of, and along with the professional attitude, of course, yeah. and not being a, a, you know, anything with drinking or drugs to, to, distort or dilute the talent in the, mm -hmm. in the professionalism right. i wound up you know taking those opportunities and and doing the best i could with them so like i said i first was touring with these 
disco hit bands. And then I wind up uh, having an opportunity that Bob and I were going to be in Meatloaf together as the dual gu- lead guitarist, Killer and Pretty Boy. I was mm. Pretty Boy. Okay. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> My brother's attitude was more Killer related. And Meatloaf went from nothing being booed off the stage and with an opening uh, for Cheap Trick in Chicago to arenas you know and then uh, and then one of the biggest selling albums of all time sure. you know that, that was huge it was just yeah. that first tour and 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 wow. you guys should know and everybody listening learning that i mean experiencing that was such a great education you can't get that in school or college or anything no no teacher could show you how to go on the road and deal with the personalities and perform on stage and travel and then all of a sudden i'm on saturday night live with meatloaf you know uh with and that's the you know uh Gilda Radner and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Jim Belushi. I mean, John Belushi, you know, I mean, first on, era, you know, yeah. yeah, early years. And yeah. uh, the meatloaf thing, it was pretty crazy. He was out of his mind, but I was pretty thrilled to be part of that band and uh, and to do that music. And then from there, I wound up with Michael Bolton. Uh, we had our band named Blackjack. And then I wound up doing, and then we, we, we were good. And the record label hyped the hell out of it so much. They put so much money into it that unless we had a gold record, we couldn't uh, really justify what happened. And maybe we were overhyped, even though it was a very good band. Uh, but I stayed in touch with Michael, of course, when it stopped. And I, I did a record with Billy Squire. Then I went back to like just gigging in Long Island, tri-state area with the Good Rats which were, that band was only really known in the tri-state area. Meanwhile, we're opening up, we're on a college show, and the headline is Ozzy Osbourne with Randy Rhodes, and the wow. opener is Motorhead. Okay, <laughs> we were wow. in the middle. Wow. Which was like, oh, really? I saw Lemmy, I was like, oh my God, right? So Motorhead opened for you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But again, because that band had a college crowd, and they, awesome. we used to play all the bars on Long Island and everything, and it was in a place in Pennsylvania. So um, the music business carries on with very odd things at times. You never know who you're going to pass on the way, you know, during on your journeys, of course. Sure. So, you know, which the Lou Reed thing, which we, we talked about before the interview started, when one of you mentioned my brother, we both met him with George McRae. We're playing the El Macombo. I think it was one of the hip clubs in Toronto. And, yep. and Lou Reed and Mick Ronson walking. I used to live around the corner from it. There you go. Yeah. A lot of great bands played that. Meatloaf was a big thing. We did a radio show from there, and that helped make his album. I got it somewhere over there on the wall, you know, Canadian gold record besides the other countries. Yeah. But Lou Reed's chatting to us, and well, Bob and I, like, and, and we had horns <laughs> during that, that, that time. And he said, ditch the horn players, you know, something like that. You know, it's just like, wow. Next thing you know, Bob runs into him in a studio in New York. And then he says, you know, they work it out, and he plays on Coney Island Baby, want to lose album so one of his classic you, see what I mean? you don't know who you're going to meet you mentioned blackjack the band that you had with michael bolton and some of the interesting footnotes as you're looking through your history and there's a lot like dane and said earlier but the jay-z connection to blackjack and then also the songwriting credit you have uh with kanye west as well can right. you talk about that yeah. a little bit one, one was handled really right the kanye west so i have a nice uh, platinum record over there in the corner nice. you know, a big big three times platinum or something like that the college dropout <laughs> the Jay-Z thing not handled right and um, still trying to work it out, which isn't fun, let Got me it. tell you. Got but it. the point is, there is a song from one of his albums that the backing music was uh, 
a song that I wrote with Michael. That's me playing guitar. Now mm-hmm. go look for my name on the record. Ha 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 ha. The music business. What can I say? Mm-hmm. But um, people, people are chatting about it. We'll see what happens. But that's kind of weird. But a lot of good rock artists. I, you know, I, I, you know, obviously Leslie West. I used to see a bit at events and some shows with Grand Funk, and I love Mountain. Leslie's a big hero of mine. And I remember him telling me he had like I don't know some live track that was properly sampled by a huge artist and. He might be making more money from that than any of the gigging he's doing. You know what I mean? The fact that the rappers were borrowing rock stuff, I'm glad I got on that list. Yeah, I'll bet. No question. It doesn't hurt. That's great. I mean, such a fascinating history. I mean, wow. (laughs) And some of it seems like, and maybe, I don't know, kind of at the right place at the right time. It's based on the way that you're, you know, kind of telling us here. Is that, did you ever feel that way? Kind of like, man, I'm so glad I was in the room at that time. I mean, I, I do. I, I mean, how, I mean, depending on how you believe in fate or opportunity and, and things like that, I have to admit that sometimes I think there's a, there's a bigger, you know, like uh, force out there that kind of, you know, in, in a way moves things along. I used to notice that some great stuff would start to happen every time I, I went, like when my parents got old and it, it's, you don't, you don't get a manual when you're taking care of seniors, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you right. love them, they're your parents and, uh, I'm a good son, but like I would go the extra mile and the more I'd go the extra mile, then the phone rang and it, it, it relates exactly to Graham Funk. Actually, I knew they were, they couldn't stay in New York. Bob and I lived in LA and there was no way that that was going to work. Uh, you know, my dad would, would, was struggling. My mo- mother would just like, you know, uh, have a problem. And the, at one point they both wound up in the emergency room where, where they fell or just something happened. You know what I mean? That was really, and I, and I just make that decision. Okay, that's it. I'm flying out and we're going to make the uh, the plan, you know, to move you guys to LA and you're going to live in an assisted living place where they'd be taken care of for it. I don't have to worry about them falling down, right. you know, and, and then while that was all in motion, I get a, uh, an email from Don Brewer. I don't even believe it's Don Brewer. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it is. And then I remember speaking to him from my parents' home when I said, set up, uh, okay, let's, let's speak, you know, and then sure enough, you know, I got the invitation to check out Grand Funk Mach 2, whatever. Yeah. And the next thing I know, it's, it's, this is our 20th year, although not a normal year, but I'm just saying yeah. 20 years with those guys. So, um, I saw you guys a few summers ago, a band I managed open for you guys in Dayton. And I, I've always been a Grand Funk fan and fan of right. yours and, and Kiss fan, etc. But I was, Honestly, and I've, I've seen a lot of shows as a pro, you know working in the promotion business. I was amazed. I mean, everybody in their position in that band, phenomenal. Don, unbelievable. You. Max oh, yeah. Carl, Absolutely. still his voice yep. is still spot yeah. on. Yeah. Now you, I mean, it's just I was honestly, I knew you were going to be good. I've, I've seen you a lot in Kiss, so I was like, oh, Bruce will be good. But I hadn't seen Grand Funk before, sure. and um, you know, uh, I've also seen a lot of. Uh, of bands that I'm kind of like, oh, this is t- kind of tough to watch, you know. Yep. But it, no, it, it was mean. it was a real a real right. joy to watch, man. What a great. I mean, band. that's the reaction we get. I'm very fortunate. Everyone's talented. We're all we all get along, which is a miracle too. Because after helps. all those years, you know, we all have that respect and we know how to give each other space if needed. But the point is, we just want to go out there and, and and entertain people and let them have a good time. And even if we're that soft ticket band at an event where. It's, it's one of those city festivals that, you know, you, you know they're going to check out the band, but they're not necessarily at the festival because of that band. They, everybody just goes wild and they love it. 
So we always feel like we win. And then, of course, there's the gigs like the casinos where people know like, oh, no, I want a ticket to Grand Funk. Sure. And right. we do the show and we do a great job. So um, and I'm, I'm never I, I know I mean, we all have our back on stage and you're a musician. So, you know that, you know, and you probably saw that, too, that we all like you said, you all, we all had our role and we did it to our our, our best. And that times five makes for a, um, a powerful band. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about album covers. Uh, obviously, we uh, and move it over to Hugh a little bit to do a deep dive on that. Now, Hugh uh, obviously created the cover for one of the Kiss records that you play on, Revenge. Uh, I, so, I, you know, I saw that listed. I didn't know which one. That's awesome. I yeah. love Revenge. Yeah. yeah. So we're, he, I'm going to let wow. him take it from here and, and do a little bit of a, wow. a little bit of a deep dive on that with you. My first question would be what what possessed you to take away your 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 uh, signature your iconic makeup well you know what they ran that course i never wore the makeup in the band like most bands there's a cycle of popularity and i remember kiss because the times were changing they did i was made for loving you huge hit for the band mm -hmm. actually but yeah. at the time it was like what the hell they want god of thunder and rock and roll all night not some kisco thing mm -hmm. they called it yeah <laughs> so eventually you know things started to like wind down they were fighting and got member well, next thing you know, they're, you know, they have to put out solo records to even make them happy. It was ridiculous. But eventually they just made a decision to take it off actually in 83. I wasn't yet the guitarist, but at that point, uh, it worked. That was a big gimmick. You know what I mean? Oh, they yeah, they like, can play, yeah, they can yeah. sing, they can look. I remember when yeah, that yeah. happened. Yeah. Now you go down the line. I joined because they can't settle on the right guitar player. I come in in 84 and I toured for Animal Eyes, although I only did a little ghost guitar work like my brother used to do. But Paul said to me, don't cut your hair. I didn't know why he said that. They already had a brand new guitar player named Mark St. John. And I was like, that was weird. And then about six weeks later, I get a call from the KISS office. They need you to go to Europe at least, maybe more. We'll see. You know, and the next thing I know, I'm in the band for 12 years. Okay. And you came along, I kind of almost at the end of my era uh, for that artwork. And Revenge was a real important record because it represented, uh, like the title said, that the band got tired of maybe um, needing to, to, to re-examine themselves and just do the best thing with no compromise. And I think the key ingredient to that direction was also Bob Ezrin. I know you all three know who he is. Mm, of course. Very famous producer. And he's done some of the best music from Pink Floyd, Dallas Cooper, no and Peter Gabriel and on. So that's a great record you got involved with. Okay. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, and I was also delighted to meet Gene and, and uh, sure. and then from that, his production company called me in to do quite a few other covers with him. So that that worked out well. Um, I love telling the story that Bob Ezrin, who I didn't really know as Bob Ezrin, when he was at Nimbus Nine Studios. Have you been to Nimbus? Did you go? No, to but I knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he called me in, and you know, I I knew he was kind of a, a big deal, but I didn't know how big. He said he just got back from London after 21 months working with a band over there and he started playing me this album i remember standing in his studio and going holy shit this is probably going to do pretty well it was the wall <laughs> yes yes no bob is uh he's the mad professor i call him and uh he's he's when he's on point he's amazing and i know for yeah. revenge i got the best of him and i really hit it off well with him and i'm very honored that that i had that's some of the really uh silver linings of, of the kiss years there were times when gene and paul produced and they were they had a great mm -hmm. point of view of what they should sound like but it was a lot different when somebody else 
who has that kind of talent and, uh, right. and just coming in and, yeah. and, and taking yeah. charge. And then he would also great. go from being that big and that, that, you know, larger than life. And he brought me back to do a project for this little band that he called a kind of a garage band with huge, uh, huge potential. And I don't know if you remember that summer song called Switch Into Glide by the Kings. The Kings. I've heard of it. Yeah. He produced that and sent me to, you know, that's speaking of timing, he sent me down to Asylum Records to deliver it way before, before internet and uploading JPEGs and art files. And on the sure. strength of that visit to L.A., my six-week visit turned into 16 years. So you're right about timing. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, uh, album artwork is always such a uh, complex, you know, it could, it so easily can look, you know, cheesy or whatever. And it could really set the pace for what the music in, that, that you're trying to share means, you know, so I'm always very, very critical of it. I agree with you. And I'm always a bit guarded about being, uh, by thinking it's that important because every once in a while, an unusual cover just becomes iconic despite its, its, its simplicity. I always cite, uh, what was the one with the girl in the airplane? Um, Blind Faith. Really crude cover, but unbelievably memorable. And, and, and then they banned it. You know, yeah, I know. I got one. Though. <laughs> yeah, that's the British version, right? Because yep. Yeah, different Not covers. Not so uptight about the uh, right. you know, young teenager or whatever she was. Yep. Well, you acknowledge the, the part that graphics play in, in rock, you know, and pre presenting albums at the, you know, at the shelf appeal level in stores, especially in the retail days. Yep. How important is that to you? Uh, how how um how much have you actually wielded your own kind of control and and input with respect to art in your career? Well, very much so. Even though it is great to guy to to work with guys like you, you know, obviously who are just have a knack for it, you know. But I generally, um, you know, I know some people I can go to to have a discussion. I know sometimes when I see a striking image that why does that impact me and why why does that feel like that could be something to influence what i want to do so i'm very visual besides you know being being um, audio man uh like the, a record called audio dog my first solo record there was a fan that put together a, a, you know my face with lots of interesting elements to it and that became that cover the second record was a little more of a struggle but i i knew i wanted to call it transformer a former member I'm, i like a transformers in an amp so um the imagery was just a live show but with some lightning and stuff it came off a little cheesier someone like with your talent probably would have bumped it up a level but you would have gotten the idea i love the back i took a picture of my marshall lamp with the tubes showing and there were pictures of me nice. during different years of my life in the tubes okay and those were my ideas and you can still see it's a marshall lamp kind of thing um so I do like getting involved. Now, BK3, the last solo record I really had my hand involved with. First of all, I started with great pictures with Niels Lozauer, one of the icons in rock photography. He lived one street over from me. There you go. All right. <laughs> so he's probably still there if you're talking about in Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then he works with Tom Germain, who you may know that name. He's worked with Kiss. You yeah. know, so I went all out with that record because I spent four years recording it and a lot of money in the studio and Gene was on it. Gene Simmons, his son, Steve Lukather, you know, John yeah. Karabi, a lot of people. So next thing I know, I'm working with Tom Germain and that was a real scene, but so easy because he had all of Neil's photos. So then he started throwing some things at me and I'm like, I love, you know, I, I just found actually 
the four choices he gave me for like the cover art. And it's just, there's no, you know, no doubt I chose the right one, but the other ones, they're all creative, but they just didn't feel right. And I'm still showing that image sometimes and using it, you know what I mean? And, and the elements from it. So when you have talented people working on things and I still talk to him, he's still close with me. I've been talking about doing some t-shirt stuff because merchandise is important. People can still support that while gigs aren't happening and I'm not flying off and playing. So right. artistic people are important and the visual is important. So in the same way as that, if I'm going to share a video this morning on my brother, I know that people's interest may be gone right away if Bob's not in the first few frames. Flashback Friday, he's playing with somebody interesting. They may not be a fan of that guy. I want to grab their image. So then I take a screenshot of him with Tim Curry. It turned out to be, you know, the Rocky Horror picture show guy when yeah. that guy had a music career. And that becomes my thumbnail because I know I need that. All right? right. And that's what you're providing. The cover needs, you need to grab someone's attention. You know, I, I got involved with doing some of the live auction pages for Kiss. And I'm realizing, well, wait a minute, if I'm going to announce that I'd be there for an hour to, to show them some of the things that I want to sell, I better have a good thumbnail. So yeah. there was a guy that uh, works with a, my singer, Todd Kearns, who does the cruises with me. And I said, will you do this for me? You know, and the next thing I know, it comes, I send them a Dracula photo. I was dressed up as Count Draculic. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, hey, hey. You know, I got makeup on and I got the cape and this blood coming out of my face. <laughs> no one's seen me like that except for the expo I did. 10 years ago on Halloween, right? So he takes that, gets that Halloween font, and there you go. Yeah. You know, so mm -hmm. you're in a great position to help bands be seen. Now, if the content, what's inside that record or something is still garbage, it's still garbage. That's what I was going to say earlier. Sometimes the tail wags the dog on that because, yeah. you know, whether the cover's good or not, if the music's great, the cover becomes infamous or famous because yep. of the music i've even become kind of glib and and you know when i got the title from neil and rush for counterparts a nut and a bolt was all i wanted on the cover and yeah everybody thought oh that's really pretty bravely minimal hugh and they weren't sure but it became the best-selling t-shirt for the band another there you go mm. you know it's a good thing you didn't come to me with transformer i probably would have had a a picture of a kid sitting in the middle of a train set or, or, that, or that's not a bad idea though. Cause I have, I grew up on a train set. I might've loved that idea. Again, I wasn't working with someone, but I know now to, if I don't think it's really powerful, what I'm working with, I go to people like yourself. You need to, you know, mm. this is one of my album cover one Oh one questions. When I meet a band and I don't know them, I have to, I have to somehow get inside their head and inside their taste you know, if you had to pick five really iconic album covers, where does your head go? Is I mean, is it the White Album or is it, you know, is it? No, it wouldn't be the White Album. Certainly, no. uh, I, I love more like Magical Mystery Tour or Sgt. Pepper. Uh, and even the first Beatle album, you know, just the black, the faces, you know, which is, you know. Which Dynasty did a good job of, of you know, representing. I thought Dynasty as an album looked extremely yes. Very straight ahead, sort of with the Beatles, with Kiss, you know, it right. works. It works. Well, the one yeah. Kiss album that I was involved with, which I recently celebrated a 35th anniversary because it came out in 1985, um, uh, just around now, uh, Asylum, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's oh, yeah. kind of ghosty faces on it, which at the time, some of the Kiss fans were like, mm, this isn't look very rock and roll. And I remember Paul working with the designer. It turned out to be someone that did 
uh, the Motels album, which also had a pop art look. Mm. And now I, I am, I'm planning, I, I, I marketed a pick tin with that image of me because it's, it's powerful. And now, yeah. yeah, when I think of Asylum, it's definitely a Warhol kind of silkscreen feel. Yeah. So, I mean, the band is obviously, and, and when you did the cover for um, Psycho Circus, I mean, that lenticular cover was kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's ambitious and expensive and, Right. And that was right uh, when they went back into makeup and now new things are there. So suddenly their stage show, even though my 12 years, we had incredible production. You know, we had a giant sphinx on sphinx on stage. We call him Leon Sphinx, you know, and then lasers <laughs> and lights and, and he spoke and, and everything. But suddenly by the time the reunion tour happened and they went back in full makeup with Ace and Peter back in the band and they've stayed in makeup since. But suddenly, like, these giant screens can work, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Suddenly, yeah. uh, techniques like, uh, I don't even say that word right, but the, what they did to that cover, you know, that, that, that it could be like that 3D look. And they start experimenting with things like that, yeah. And they cloak to order it up, because not every band that wants die-cutting, die like physical graffiti, or not everybody gets it because they want it. You know, you have to be a band. Of that the band with Michael Bolton, we had a really unusual cover. It was blackjack, so it looked like the graphics of a of a deck of cards. But one better, you know, like what you're saying, it actually had a a folding part. It, it made it in that. I think there was some book, a big coffee table book of album cover award type, you know, art. You're probably in it, I'm sure. But that cover, like, was in there, you know, cool. and uh, it was included. Very so. Cool. Um, and, you know, other albums that meant something to me is, is, is uh, you know, certainly the Hendrix album really yeah. spun my head around. Are you experienced and looking yeah. at that album? cover? All his stuff was amazing. I mean, there's it's so much. It, it's always been that art and, and music thing always needs to run parallel and embrace each other and improve each other. Even if it's as minimalistic, like you said, you did for Pink, you know, for, for Rush, rather. Yeah, I think that's it, awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yep. Speaking of some of the live stuff, you mentioned the Sphinx, um, which I saw that tour. That was hot in the shade. Yeah. Um, that was honestly, that's still embedded in my memory. I saw that show at Deer Creek Music Center with some friends and the mouth opens up and you guys are standing there and those green laser lights at the time. I, it's still honestly one of the best stage. I, I still, I say this to people when, you know, when I'm not talking to you, it's one of the best stage productions and shows I think I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of shows. Wonderful. I mean, I've seen kiss, you know, since the years, you know, the makeup years now, the current stuff with the production, they yeah. can take out. They had the spider stage and every stage is the technology that's involved is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But I never also feel as much as I'm like, Whoa, you know, it's a million-dollar production. But I don't feel like any of our tours ever really lacked that. No. And we didn't have to have the big screens or anything because it didn't exist. A big kiss sign helped or gimmick. Even the Revenge Tour um, had a giant Statue of Liberty. And then at the end, you know, there's, there's explosions. The face falls off. It looks like Terminator skull. And then it suddenly gives the middle finger. Mm. You know what I mean? Because that was like a apocalyptic <laughs> New York scene. So that worked too. I saw but that music tour was as well. So the tour, yeah. What was that? I saw that tour as well because that the the Alive Three record, um, right. Some of the recording was in Indianapolis. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Market Square. Did you guys have to put any kind of fire retardant in your hair? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was always. I mean, Gene was the most vulnerable with by spitting fire, and he did it during my years as well. 
Right. Um, I do remember one time not remembering the cue, and I just happened to move away from what was going to be a flame-throwing, you know, like like blast. Uh, obviously, uh, a higher power said, "Don't stand there," and I moved. And I would, I, I, I but I didn't move because that was going on, going to go on. I moved because I moved, you know, but. That would have been bad. It would have been a toasty BK. You know? mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So what was your, Bruce, what was, as a fan, what was your first attended concert as a fan? It's a great one, guys. Really great. So Murray Decay used to put on shows first, first in Brooklyn, but I wasn't old enough to do it. Murray Decay was the fifth Beatle in New York, and he yep. used to have a radio show, got very popular. He used to do those reviews much like what you'd see in england remember when you heard first about the beatles you see 20 bands listed right yeah and the beatles are just one of them so murder case show moved to new york and he did it in a theater in 1966 um on like 57th street okay so now it's like i could take the train i wasn't very old 13 but i can go and see so this was the bill Okay, the Young Rascals were the headliner. Good love in, you know, the Rascals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Of course. And the opening acts, are you ready for this? The first band that played, I'm, you know, I'm not positive what the order was, but it doesn't matter. I saw Cream. Oh, no. He came out for 20 minutes and played. And then The Who. Whoa. Oh, wow. And they uh, played 20 minutes. Before the Young Rascals. And, you're right. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like this. I don't know anything. No one knew. You know, I, I, I remember I got the opportunity to rock and roll fantasy camp where I'd be a counselor. And I went to the one in London in 07. Jack Bruce was a special guest, which was great. I actually got to jam with him with, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the bad company drummer uh, in my brain. Simon right now. Kirk. Simon, yeah. Simon Kirk. Thank yeah. you. And we did uh, White Room and, and uh, Sunshine of Your Love, which was mind oh, altering awesome. to me because I. I was out of my mind to jam with Jack Jeez. Bruce, my hero. But there was a guy there in the crowd who knew he was going to see Jack and have him sign the Polaroid of him leaving the building in 1966, <laughs> you know, when he just saw Cream, you know, but nobody went there for the opening acts. Nobody knew who sure. they were. Sure. That right. was like their first tour to break in America. You That's know? incredible. What, what wow. an incredible show. But I, I saw Hendrix at the, uh, at the Fillmore East when he had to do that gig on New Year's Eve, you know, for that, you know, which was pretty legendary in the band, the gypsies Gypsies record. Yeah. 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 I saw him at the garden. I even bootlegged him in 69. I ripped off some of the stuff and incorporated into my kiss guitar solo when I had to do my solo, (laughs) you know, guitar. Um, No, growing up in New York, I could see some incredible shows, you know, that was great. I saw the Allman brothers, you know, Clapton, Layla, you know, during that uh, era, Derek, and the, was Derek and the Dominoes. Oh man, that that's too. great! Well, and you just cut a uh, Hendrix tune with uh, on that new or, or recent yes. Ace Frehley record too. That uh, cover big influence for me, Hendrix. And then when Ace and I were talking, and he played me what John Five did for him with Politician, which is another big band, of mm-hmm. course, from Cream. But uh, we both gravitated to uh, like, let, let's do Manic Depression. I think it would be perfect. That's great. And yeah, it only came out recently because. You know, he was going to get it out late last year, then the spring, and we all know what happened in the spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So our, my last question, um, which you kind of had a good segue a little bit ago when you're talking about Jack Bruce, we always like to ask people, tell us about some of the biggest, like most influential shows that you personally have played on, whether you're on stage looking around like, I can't believe I'm here right now, you know, or huge shows with Kiss or Grand Funk or whatever. Tell us about a few of those. Well, you know, it's funny. I did, I did only because I referenced the Jack Bruce thing and, and the fantasy camp. From the fantasy camp, having amazing guests. You know, I had the opportunity to play with Dickie Betts, you know, from the Allman Brothers, right. wow. where he was really digging me trading off with him. I was the Townsend for Daltrey at the um, House of Blues in LA on the strip when we did, you know, Won't Get Fooled Again. Jeez. Was I nice. shitting in my pants? You know it. <laughs> yeah. okay. And he's not an easy guy to work with. Mm. And let me tell you, the who is Pete Townsend because Pete's the leader. He's the voice, Roger. He's the front man. But the guy, you know, you know, when we got lost in the middle of the song, kind of, I'm like, oh, you know, given the cue. And I know Roger appreciated that. You know, how could he not? Because it would have been like, duh, you know, you don't want you don't want to get the train off the tracks, you know. So anyway, I had some real, real moments there with uh, with with some of the uh, fantasy camps that was just amazing with the, with the jams that were very impromptu and wild. And one time, even backing uh, Mark Farner, who was, you know, a guest. And then, and then Paul's at that camp, Paul Stanley. And Paul loves Grant Funk. Mm. So Paul's singing, and I'm up there, too. So those kumbaya things. But no, just talking about actual bands I'm in and the big gigs, you know, clearly, uh, in Kiss, I grew up in New York. So to play the garden where I saw Hendrix and Led Zeppelin, and I did see Led Zeppelin as well, uh, that was really a big thing. That's like, you're, I made it. No, it, it was exciting yeah. to be on Saturday Night Live, you know, sure. with, you know, uh, years earlier. And with Meatloaf, we did big shows too. But I was one of nine people on stage. I'm not featured the same way I am right. with Kiss. So obviously that was big. Um, years later, we did Donington, which is a huge festival. Yeah. That's when Guns N' Roses was first breaking Iron Maiden actually headlined that, but it was a very, very famous gig in 88. There's always been highlights of shows that are just really memorable, but certainly the garden I'll never forget. Sure. Doing that unplugged thing for MTV, that was still a gig, even though it was a TV performance. Right, right, right. right. Boy, yep. we all looked great. It sounded great. Then the big reunion, which was, you know, actually the catalyst to the end of my years with the band because the demand was there for something like that. Mm -hmm. But understandably, I was so proud of the uh, recording and the performance and the how we how we played. So, um, and you know, even with Grand Funk, there were there were a couple of shows that I loved where we would just do like a song at a at a NASCAR event. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We're playing sure. American band. That's exciting. You know what I mean? You, and it's just get up there, go. You know, and and and, and there you go. I, you know, one gig we did. This one's really funny. I think we only had to play three songs, but it was a special event in Washington at a famous hotel. And those hotels are really cool because of the politics in DC, as you know, but we actually played in the ring and it was like for boxing. Thing. Oh, wow. Oh, you mean in That's the awesome. ring? I thought you said in the yeah, rain, in the ring. In the yeah. ring. Oh, okay, cool. Isn't that weird? The only thing, oh. I, I can relate to Sinatra, I guess, at the garden when he played the, the main event. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah sure. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty weird. <laughs> but, and, and the girls were there with the numbers mm -hmm. in between, you know. And, oh, wow. and, and there were, I can't remember, I'm not a big boxing fan, but there were a couple of really famous uh, retired boxers there that everybody was all excited about. So there's nothing like the music business for mm -hmm. some exciting, crazy things to happen. That's right. You yep. know, in big Definitely. events. No yeah. doubt. 
Well, we really appreciate you joining us today, Bruce. And uh, thanks for walking us down memory lane. Uh, we appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And please let everyone know, of course, uh, BruceKulik.com is a nice portal. My website, it will take you to, uh, you know, Facebook and uh, Instagram and the Twitter. And then, of course, uh, I've been working really hard. And it's hard to do the YouTube channel. I'm still like kind of mm-hmm. just yeah. walking and crawling through it. But, you know, even having 8,000 subscribers, I'm flattered. But I meet these people that have a half a million and I'm like, I got a long way to go, guys. You know, I mean, help me out here, you know, but I'm working on all that. You need to talk to Andy. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Yeah. That's his forte. All right. Yeah. Oh, I got to say, too, you you have by far the best backdrop that we've talked with anybody we've talked to by far. No question. I mean, I worked hard on it. Yeah, we've got some work to do on our end. Big time. Yeah. All right. Well, (laughs) you guys are all handsome in your own right. You got good. Good, good, good entertainment to, and information to provide for everybody. Don't worry about it. But yeah, this is, I'm trying to brand myself from the, uh, great. don't have a nickname yet for it, but there it is. It's great. Know. It's great. Nice. Well, thanks right, a lot. Guys. Have a great one. Thank you. See ya. Okay. Mm, bye-bye. Be well. Right, bye-bye. All thanks, right. Bruce. Okay. So we're going to close this episode off with a song that Bruce sent us. Uh, it's from his 2010 solo album, BK3. It's called Ain't Gonna Die, featuring Gene Simmons. So uh, thanks again to Bruce for joining us today and uh, closing out with this tune. Uh, Until next time, have a good one. People say I'm always using my face. So you point and smile, but I don't care if it's true, it's always a
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 